This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Welcome to episode 98 of the MMA Insiders Podcast. Of course, I'm Jason Floyd, and back this week is Sam Kaplan. Sam, man, how's it going? It's going well. I just want to thank John Nash for filling in for me last week. John did a tremendous job, as always, whenever he's on a podcast or putting out a an interesting and uh, enlightening article. So it was great to have John step in for me. It's also good to be back. Work's been a little crazy the last couple of weeks. Also has a, I also have an infant daughter. So just uh, a busy, busy summer. A lot of people at work are on vacation or leaving the department. So I've had to uh, you know work overtime for a little bit now and had to go away for work last week. So it's been crazy. But like I said, Jason, great to be back. Yeah, I, I I love talking to John because John just offers so much unique insight talking about the Ali Act and, and the Fire Association. Anyone is recording this show here uh, on Tuesday, August the 9th. Has, if you're on social media, you'll see uh, you know, Matt Mitrione and some other fighters are, are now starting to actively tweet out representatives there. And, and look, I, I think it's it's not likely that we see uh, the Ali Act uh you know, push forward the way it is, but but who knows? It'll be interesting to see what happens in November. But uh, you know, I, I did find it very interesting, Sam, that all of a sudden we're now seeing current UFC fighters stepping up. Cajun Johnson, Leslie Smith have shown their support for a fighters association. I mean, all the fighters that we had seen show their public support for a fighters association or people outside the UFC, retired fighters. Very interesting to now see current UFC fighters uh, putting their name on it. Not a big fan of the Ali Act as it's written for MMA. I, I think that's not a secret to anyone that's a regular listener of this show. But I would love to see a either a fighters union or a fighters association make its way into MMA. I think that the fighters are being exploited in certain ways, especially with their likeness. I think that's the biggest issue. Yeah. The, the biggest issue that I have is, you know, the UFC can take their likenesses, put them in a video game, make millions upon millions of dollars, and the fighters don't even see a dime of that. I, I have a massive issue with that. And there's other issues like that. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know if the Ali Act really does anything to address something like that, but I know a fighters association would. Yeah, and I do think they kind of go hand in hand, and and maybe if if somehow the Ali Act came, so one of the things that kind of surprised me about the Ali Act, and when we're talking about protecting fighters, Sam, you know the one thing we never hear about protecting these fighters medically. Yes, yes. that that's me. If we're talking fighter safety, and we're talking about how you want to protect fighters. Why are we not talking about you know protecting these fighters medically? I mean, that's the one thing that I continue to harp on is it's yes, we want to protect these fighters. We want to see them you know get the the proper money they deserve and, and all those things like that. But let's also make sure that we're protecting these guys medically. The thing that I really have wanted to see for a long time is baseline concussion testing. It's being done in the NHL right now. It's not being done in any other major sport to my knowledge. Basically, what baseline concussion testing is, when someone comes into the league, or in this case, when someone comes into MMA, they have to get a initial 
MRI of their brain, an initial brain scan, so that if there's any injury that takes place during that athlete's career and they have to go and get another MRI, they have a comparative frame of reference to see what's different uh, between when the the, the uh, athlete came in and entered the league compared to where they are at once a head injury or potential head injury w- was suffered. And I know MRIs are very, very expensive, but I think Nick Lembo, what he has set up in New Jersey, I would love to start seeing that emulated in other states. And what Nick Lembo has done for athletes and fighters, he knows that the meds are very expensive, but they, they want to make sure that everyone's healthy and no one's coming into fights injured. So they have comprehensive meds, but he has struck a deal with a medical center in New Jersey and they are subsidized. They, they are, you know, the fighters still have to pay about 350 to 400 bucks, but what they're getting is 1000 to $1,200 worth of medicals. And I would love to see other executive directors, other commissions try to set up what Nick Lembo has done in, in New Jersey. And it's not always going to be easy. In some cases, it's not, just not going to be possible. But I'd love for the effort at least to be made. And I would love for the ABC to, to look at this concept and start talking about baseline concussion testing before a fighter even sets foot into the cage for even an amateur fight. There's a way for them to go out, get an initial brain scan stored in some kind of registry and always have that there as a competitive frame of reference. Uh, I absolutely love that idea. And it's interesting because I think it's a great segue. Last week was the Association of Boxing uh, Commissions. They do have a, a newer name that they have adopted, but their annual conference and, uh, Sam, this is probably one of the the most heated conferences we have seen with Civil the, War. Yeah, I mean, Civil War's breaking out. I tell you, I, I've kind of said this: Are you Team Missouri Foster Bennett, <laughs> or are, are you Team Lukenhoff Limbo and uh, and Associates here? Because yeah. you know, and obviously, you know, there was a bloody elbow story uh, that came out on two, on Monday about uh, an email chain involving the Brazilian Commission, whatnot. And you know, one of the things I'll say about this is where was all of this talk when the conference was going on not a week after the conference was over you know from the time that these new these rules were presented in front of the body it was 35 hours before they were voted on can i just say this i think that the civil war and the divide that we see amongst the athletic commissions in the united states i don't know if it necessarily has to do with actual rules and philosophical differences I think it's ego-driven. I think it's ego-driven, and I think a lot of it's political. I think that it's almost a pissing match now. I I think that a lot of people – I wouldn't say a lot of people, but I think there's people within the current conglomerate of athletic commissions that maybe have a personal issue with Mike Mazzulli. You've got a lot of different cultures that comprise the ABC and all the different athletic commissions. You have the South. You have the the, the West – you have the Midwest and you have the Northeast. And, and I like Mike a lot. I respect Mike Mazzulli a lot, but he's a Northeast guy just like myself. A lot of people from outside the Northeast think people such as myself and Mike Mazzulli, we talk too fast and, you know, we're boisterous and, and, and this and that. And I just think that there's certain people within that group that resent Mike and resent his ascension to the head of the ABC and rather than listen to Mike and listen to what he's trying to do and judge him based on the merits, 
and what's good and what's best for MMA and for the athletes, they're allowing their personal desire for power that Mike now possesses to interfere with that. Because I don't know necessarily, I, you know, maybe it's, it's obvious to other people, but it's not obvious to me. The divide, the other side, you know, the, 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 the rogue commissions now that have kind of broken off from the ABC, I don't know what they're offering on their platform that is that much different than what the ABC is offering. And, you know, the few things that they have put out there that, that does separate their platform from the ABC platform really, I don't think is very fighter forward. You know, one of the things and a a word that I have used is, you know, no matter whether we're talking business, we're talking sports or, or whatever it is, you have to evolve as a company. And, you know, sometimes I look at some of the people that were not on board for some of the changes or out there they just don't want to evolve as a sport i mean you know one of the things and i'll continue to say this and and this is something that uh certain people in this industry cannot deny is the fact of you know over the last year the abc has become relevant again it's been irrelevant for what a decade sam more well i've never seen this much coverage of an abc meeting uh, no, I mean it, it's it's crazy. I mean, I I, I gotta say kudos to uh, Mark Armande, uh, who is one of the reporters out there. He did an absolutely tremendous job of covering all aspects of this. You know, one thing for anyone who has ever talked to Mike Mazzulli, the one thing you'll walk away from that that conversation from is all he cares about is fighters. He wants to, he wants the fighters to you know be in. Uh, when it comes to safety first, doing everything is about the fighters. And one of the things that I think that people who, who don't sit there and kind of monitor what's going on with the ABC is all of these committees that Mike Mazzulli and his team have put in over the last year, uh, you look at the Rules and, and Regulations Committee and just go look who's on that committee. We're talking about regulators. We're talking about former fighters uh, who are on that committee. Uh, you look at the medical board that has been put together. And, Sam, you can talk about this. Mike Mazzulli, he, you know, when it comes to you know directors of commissions, when it comes to medicals, he's, got, he's one of the hardest guys to, to get everything through. The th- it's very hard to get things through, but the thing that I always liked about Mike and his doctors were these were big-time doctors. These weren't like doctors that, you know, they weren't a friend of a friend who he just wanted to get paid or these were guys that he went to high school with. You know, they're, the, uh, the guy that reviewed all the brain scans was Do- the team doctor for the New York Yankees. And wasn't it uh, Dr. Alessi of the NFL? Yeah, doctor, yes, it's Dr. Alessi. You know, he, 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 he reviews, you know, MRIs and brain scans for major, you know, major sports leagues. And that's why when they reviewed the Brian Foster MRI and they said, they said that Brian Foster could not compete in Mohegan Sun. This was, you know, quite a few years now. You know, we wanted to, we signed Brian Foster. Uh, he, you know, he left the UFC, but left the UFC with a winning record. We needed someone to really step up and, and be a legitimate challenger to Ben Askren. So we thought that Brian Foster had a real good chance to go into our welterweight tournament and perform well and, and, and be a guy after, you know, had he won the tournament, be someone that could really be offered to the public as a legitimate challenge to Ben Askren. And that plan never got off the ground because we were going to start the welterweight tournament in Mohegan Sun. 
they but they reviewed the the medicals and and they said no. And at first I was like, you know, this doesn't seem very fair. But the more and more I talked to Mike and talked to his doctors, I you know, it's hard to argue with a doctor the caliber of Doctor Alessi. You can't argue with someone like that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they had the best interest of Brian in mind. And based on the education that I got from Mike and, and Dr. Alessi and some other people that I talked to outside of Mohegan Sun that were familiar with Brian's situation, I was no longer comfortable being responsible for uh, uh, being a responsible person for putting Brian in the cage. Yeah, and of course, Brian has uh, continued to fight, fighting in, in the World Series of Fighting, which, by the way, they had their best uh, ratings uh, for their last show of 2016, uh, averaging 250,000 viewers, which probably the most interesting part about that was they were going up against a UFC pay-per-view, so obviously a, a great thing there, of course. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw that interview with Ben Fodor before that fight. Sam, I was watching, I go, why are they still putting this fight on? Yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing was sad. It, it was very sad. I don't think that Phoenix Jones is anywhere near the level of his brother competitively. So I, I think from a competitive standpoint, that fight never should have been made. And then just from a moral standpoint, you know, as a brand, is that the kind of message you want to send? It's it's like, you know, you're it's a Jerry Springer like mentality. You know, we're going to exploit this family feud and we're going to put it on TV and just really, really exploit it. I mean, just because you have two brothers that don't get along and are willing to fight each other doesn't necessarily mean that you should cross that line and partake and foster that. And I think NBC Sports Network, I'm disappointed in them. I feel like that's an anti-family move on their part to broadcast a fight like that. And by the way, speaking of the World Series of Fighting, you know, that was Marlon Moraes' last fight on his deal. And I just, Sam, I literally just shook my head every time I heard someone say, show Marlon Moraes the money. I'm like, he's, he's been already shook. been showing the money. <laughs> Sam, I mean, Sam, he made, uh, you know, 140, 160, and 180 for his last three fights. He is maybe the highest paid bantamweight in all of MMA, maybe besides Dominic Cruz. I hope his management has got him ready for the type of offer he's going to get from the UFC and understanding that they're not coming anywhere near that offer. Well, forget about that. Is the World Series of Fighting going to come anywhere near that offer? I mean, Sam, well, I, mean, I mean, at 135, if he got a 50-50 and 50 offer from the UFC, he should jump on it. He won't get that offer, though. I mean, Look, if, I, was right about, I was wrong about Will Brooks. But I don't think I'm going to be wrong about Marlon Moraes. If he was in a different weight class, if he was a heavier weight, yes, maybe he would get an offer like that. But because he's 135, the UFC is not desperate for 135ers right now, and they don't even see that as a big money division. If you look at the fight slots that 135 gets on the UFC events, it, it pales in comparison to what the heavier weights get. There's a lot of guys that could make 135 that don't in the UFC because they know as a 145er they're going to get an opportunity to fight more. Yeah. So I just don't see Marlon Moraes getting a big contract offer, and I don't think that's a mystery. I don't think that's a surprise by us you know, revealing that. But the, 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 the real question to me is, if you're the World Series of Fighting, Ali Abdelaziz, the manager for Marlon Moraes, is no longer at the uh, – he's no longer the puppeteer. He's no longer pulling the strings of your talent. You know, do you – I mean, do you try to cut the pay of Marlon Moraes? Do you renew him at that rate? I, I, no, I personally – 
You can't. How I, I, looking at that bottom line, there to me. I mean, let's let's remember two fights ago he's headlining a card in a rec center, so it's not like he's a gate. He he's a, a live gate draw. I, I just I, let me just say, Sam, if you were Sean Shelby, who who match makes one thirty five, would you offer Marlon Moraes forty and forty? I would. Yes, would but that, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go a penny higher than that. I mean that's that's kind of what I've been thinking. I said Will Brooks got fifty and fifty as a one fifty fiver, forty and forty could be the highest the UFC would go. And, and is that going to be the type of offer that Marlon Moraes is going to? I hope there's people around him who have who have braced him for the fact of no one is going to come at the money he was making in the World Series of Fighting. And, and not even the World Series of Fighting may may come back with that offer. The problem is for World Series of Fighting as much as I'm sure they would like to get him at a more reasonable number a fighter it might be willing to take a step backwards to financially to fight for the ufc but you can never really go backwards financially with with a fighter that's within your organization i mean once a fighter has hit a certain pay plateau the 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 very idea of them making less once you broach that 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 possibility it's a non-starter no no fighter wants to hear that They, they they just don't yeah, I mean Justin Gaethje's who really is their biggest star. He he's going to be headlining World Series of Fighting uh, thirty three. Another guy that's making a lot of money and has you know has has dropped the hints that that he wants to be in the UFC. I mean he's pretty much made that pretty clear. So it, it, interesting no, time. Another thing, another thing. Sorry to cut you off. There's really no way for the World Series of Fighting to monetize Marlon Race. There's no one no. in that organization left for him to fight. No, I mean it's you know when you know if they would have brought in Aljamain Sterling, that would have been a fight to make. But yeah, I mean, you, you talk about and I've said this, and I think that Marlon Race has top ten talents, but he doesn't have a top ten resume. And when I see people put him fifth or sixth in the world, I, I go, what is your basis for that? Tell me his best win, and is that guy a top forty fighter in the world? Josh Hill may be his best win. Yeah. What's Josh yeah. Hill? And that's why every time I see someone put Marm Race in the top ten, I'm going, explain to me your logic and how you prove that. You can't, but I don't think you can always explain rankings because a lot it's so subjective in nature anyway. But I do think he is a top ten talent. Yeah, no, no. I look. I think talent wise, but he's just he's got to have to prove it. And you know, unless he ends up in the UFC. It's really the only way we're going to find out whether, uh, you know, he's a top ten guy at, at 135 pounds. Uh, speaking of there for you in Philadelphia, which I'm, I'm actually heading to uh, tomorrow for my first preseason game. Sam, I'm amazed that the preseason's already here. Uh, Let's hope the game doesn't get canceled. Uh, I, I certainly hope not. <laughs> How does that happen? You know, I know Roger Goodell is not directly responsible for that, but he indirectly is. I mean, he's the C- CEO of the NFL, for lack of a better term. How do you – how does that something how, – how does that even happen? I mean, I know they put in a new field. It's a new facility. But how are they not on top of that, getting updates? And, you know, why, why was it – why did it Why did it come down to the 11th hour? They, I, From what I've heard from the reports, they knew a week before the field wasn't going to be ready. They had a week to move the game. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I have absolutely no idea, Sam. I, you know, I uh, not, I'm not impressed with Roger Goodell as a commissioner, and yeah, I, I'm, obviously that's not earth-shattering news because there's very few people that are impressed with him. 
But you know, I'm, I'm looking for you know it's it's you know start to start the grind of the next 20 weeks of uh, of NFL football. So uh, looking forward to it. But speaking of of Philadelphia, it was about uh, a week and a half ago that I heard the UFC is targeting Eddie Alvarez. Khabib Nurmagomedov for Philadelphia. Uh, this was prior to the UFC announcing that Rafael Dos Anjos and Tony Ferguson are going to fight in November. But I think this is just, Sam, another sign of the new direction of the UFC and how they are doing fights, but also putting them in the right markets. You you look at what they did with Stipe Miocic, first title defense in Cleveland. They're going to have Michael Bisping defend the middleweight title in England, now potentially having Eddie Alvarez defend the lightweight title in Philadelphia. Um, Sam, I, I like this direction the UFC is going. I, I, well, I th- from a business aspect, I think it's it's a great move. But explain this to me because I've heard it from multiple people now. What is the new direction? of what? What is this new direction? Is it just I, simply making main event fights with in the hometowns of one of the fighters, or is it more than that? Well, I think it's part of part of its that is sitting there and saying, let's capitalize on that fighter. If they've got a huge following in the area, let's try to capitalize that. Let's not try, you know, make, force the fight to to always be in Las Vegas and just expect those fans to to hop in a plane and get to Las Vegas. Which Sam getting to Las Vegas is not cheap. You know, you can you. you you can stay there pretty cheap, but it's just getting there. Yeah, you can stay there cheap if you want to reduce your standards for hotel uh, accommodations. I mean, yeah, you can go to Circus Circus and probably stay there for $30 a <laughs> night. But it, if you don't want to stay at a hotel where you have to worry about getting pickpocketed in, in the lobby, then it, it's not cheap to stay in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, and I just, and I, but I think also the new direction is kind of making fights that financially are – Potentially, what's best for their their wallets? Uh, Bisping Henderson. UFC's always done that. They've always done that. Not not to this. I mean, Bisping Henderson. That's a stretch. I mean, I know you could sit back and say Jones Sonnen was a stretch back in what was that 2014 ish, 13, somewhere in that range. Uh, but I mean, you know, when's the last time you sat there and said, "Hey, a guy who's ranked 13th is fighting for a title"? I don't know. I I, I think that. The, the only thing that's really new that the UFC is doing is there's maybe a little bit more of a concentration on going to the hometown of the defending champion. I, I think that's really the only thing that's really new about their direction. They've always made fights to make money. It's, and to me, it's amazing that how much, how, how little they have gone to Philadelphia. I mean, it's, you know, when they debuted here, it was a very good crowd. They brought Forrest Griffin, Anderson Silva. It was a big show. I think they came back two years later, and they just got killed at the box office. It was also interesting, the last time they were in Pittsburgh, Brian Stan made some public comments, and it was directed towards Greg Serb and the PA Athletic Commission, basically saying that, you know, based on his candor and conduct, that's a big reason why the UFC doesn't go to PA. Now, I have a great relationship with Greg, and I've always gotten along with him, and he's always been good to me, but it's very, it was very interesting that someone like Brian Stan, someone of his stature, would come out and say that, and you have to wonder, maybe there is some truth to the rumor. Maybe it's not just ticket sales being the reason why the UFC hasn't come back to Philadelphia. Maybe it's due to just working with that commission. I know, you know, when I was at Bellator, there was just certain places that we were unwilling to go to just based on the conduct of the commissions. You know, there were certain 
you know, venues that we were really interested in that we felt were going to be beneficial to us as an organization. But the commissions uh, that we were supposed to deal with were just so that we found them to be just so unprofessional. We just couldn't go to their state and, and put on a show. Here's uh, because yeah, I was actually having a conversation with somebody today about this, about you know the the Atlantic City MMA scene, and I guess the the lack of MMA scene there. But now with what's going on with New York, it makes me wonder with you know Nick Limbo maybe not getting a lot of friends. Uh, after the fallout of the ABC meeting, I, I do wonder how much MMA fight cards is the state of New Jersey going to lose with New York, especially major MMA events. A lot of people that promote shows in New Jersey have ties to New York. And a lot of people that have ties to New Jersey that promote in New Jersey, they want to go to New York so they can make more money. I don't think that we're going to see the New Jersey MMA scene die by any stretch of the imagination. But once New York becomes you know, in play and you can actually physically start doing events there, it's really going to hurt New Jersey's MMA economy. Thought, thoughts on the World Series of Fighting doing a New Year's Eve show in New York City? Glad you brought that up. I think it's criminally stupid. I think it's asinine, to be honest with you. It's, it's just, it, it, and my understanding is it sounds like this is going to be an afternoon show on NBC. Okay. I mean, now you've got to sell tickets on, on an afternoon. You know, a lot of people work, still work on New Year's Eve. Not, not at night, but during the day. And they have New Year's Day off. So that's well, New, a tough New Year's, sell. E- New Year's Eve is a Saturday this year. Oh, it's a Saturday? Okay. Yeah. I mean, all right. That's a, that's, that's, a huge, that's a huge thing. I mean, maybe it'll do okay. I, I don't know. I, typically doing MMA shows on holidays in the United States – really does not work and just new york of all places i mean maybe if they went to the midwest but new york is a party town it's a big party town for new year's eve most of the broadcasts that you will see air on the major networks will emanate from new york city because it's Mm -hmm. the epicenter of new year's eve celebrations i I, that's that's tough competition even doing an afternoon afternoon shows no matter what day you do them on they're just it's 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 a tough sell yeah, and no. Now, well, totally. will still people people will still buy tickets, yes, but you greatly reduce your ability to sell tickets when you when you go to, during the afternoon. I mean, it, it, the NFL is the NFL; they can put on games whenever. I mean, they could do their games at two a.m. and they would still sell tickets. Um, you know, but MMA is a different sport; it's a different animal, and daytime MMA typically, as a draw, does not draw well. Personally, Sam, I, I don't want to be have to work a game at two o'clock in the morning. That's just me, though. You know, but but you're you're exactly right. The NFL could do it a game at two a.m. and people would would buy tickets and they would be sitting in front of their television watching mm-hmm. it. It's uh, it, it's but it's interesting because you bring up about the afternoon shows, which kind of leads uh, uh UFC two hundred four, which as a recording, this show has not been officially announced, but it, it sounds like announcement is going to come any moment, October eighth, Manchester, England, Bisping. Hindo too, and it sounds like this pay per view could start seven, eight o'clock East Coast time, um, which is kind of interesting to me because that is the heart of college football season. You know, I understand that why the UFC would do that because it is an international show, but 
I just I don't think this is going to do well on pay per view at that time slot. I mean, you know, Sam, you may remember a couple of years ago when the UFC tried to go to a nine o'clock East Coast start time. Yeah, and, that, and I was just, excited by that, and then, but it didn't last very long because it didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. And also, which is interesting, part of this is I have heard that after UFC two hundred two next weekend that the commercial price for UFC pay-per-views, when I say commercial, this is for bars and businesses, is going up 5%. And it sounds like some bars are not exactly thrilled about that. And I think UFC 204 could be a pay-per-view that does really bad for the UFC in terms of commercial pay-per-view sales. Maybe that's intentional, though. Maybe they want to raise the price and weed out a lot of the bars that buy their events because there was a time where I would go to bars to watch UFC and you had, you would have to get there an hour early before the show even started just to get a good seat. And that's really not necessarily the case at a lot of places. There's still some places you have to do that. So maybe the idea is to, you know, cut down the amount of bars that broadcast the UFC pay-per-view events so that the, by reducing the, the the pool that maybe some of these other bars will start to fill up. And I know one of the things the UFC does not like that bars do is a promote no cover. If you are a manager, an owner of a bar, a restaurant, that shows UFC pay-per-use, if you promote no cover, I'm going to tell you, you might want to stop or you're going to get a phone call. Well, why do they have an issue with that? Uh, my This is just my pure, uh, you know, based on some things I've heard is they, they feel that when – you know, it hurts their residential pay-per-view sales. So basically, if someone sent us home and, and purchased that pay-per-view, but I mean, the thing, and Sam, I, I've noticed here uh, in Tampa Bay area where I live, less and less, you know, places are showing the events. And, and that to me is just more of a sign of, you know, you understand that most likely you're not going to make back that money that you pay for that pay-per-view, but you're just hoping that it draws a crowd in. Um, and, and I just see less and less. I mean, it'll be interesting because, you know, next Saturday night, UFC 202, you know, I'll be getting back in, into Tampa after doing a game, you know, probably around the time that Connor and Nate are, are going to be walking to the cage. It'll be interesting to me as I, as I make my drive home from the team facility to my house to see how many bars actually are showing it. But by reducing the amount of bars, maybe it creates bigger crowds at the bars that do still show it, and that'll create more value in that package. Well, I mean, and this is the other thing is that, you know, all the UFC TV deals, from my understanding, all expire at the same time. The pay-per-view deals, the Fox deal. It's going to be a very interesting time when the renegotiations start up for that TV deal. You've alluded to it on this podcast that, you know, could Ari Emanuel be trying to do not just a primary deal, but also a secondary deal? I mean, you know, I still think $400 million a year is kind of crazy, but if they were going to leave the pay-per-view industry $400 million a year, I, I could see someone maybe paying that. The more I talk to people behind the scenes, the more I believe Ario Manuel can pull it off, and I think they're going to get close to $4 million a year. I'm doing a 180. When, when we talked about this a couple weeks back, I was very skeptical, but based on some new conversations I've had, I, I think he's going to pull it off. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting time. Of course, speaking of, of UFC 202, Sam, a very, for the most part, uneventful 
media conference call last week with Connor and, and Nate Diaz, you know, to me, th- there was two things that kind of came out of it. One of you know, really three things. Uh, the first thing was Connor predicted a, a second round finish over Nate. Nate explained uh, what his tweet about the UFC and, and throwing it out there that hey. Um, you know, they didn't tell me exactly all the, you know, the amount of time my media obligations were going to take when he was doing that late night show circuit, which to me, Sam, is still amazing. Nate Diaz was on late night television. I know. I, you know, I think he's pretty entertaining when he does these spots. I, I mean, it's just to me, it's like if you, if I, Sam, if I would have told you Nate Diaz would be doing the late night TV uh, show circuit, you would, a year ago, you would talk, say, you're crazy, man. Yeah. I mean, a year ago, we didn't know if Nate Diaz was going to fight again. Yeah. It's just amazing. Um, and then the other part was Connor and WWE. But another thing I want to mention before it, you know, on that conference call, Connor was already talking about the trilogy matchup. And I, I know Arrow Hawani brought this up on his show. If you're already talking about the trilogy matchup, why should I be interested in the rematch? Uh, because I think it just adds to the. The persona of Conor McGregor. He's he's that confident in his perfor- upcoming performance that he believes that there, there's going to be a need for a third fight because he believes he's going to win the second fight. There's no need for the third fight in the trilogy unless uh, you know he wins the second fight. Unless you know the, the only time you need a, a third fight in a trilogy when somebody's 0-2 is if it's Bellator. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but uh, by the way, I don't know if you saw Eddie Alvarez uh, responded to Bellator's tweeting out his first fight video with uh, Michael Chandler. Pretty comical if you haven't seen it. What did he say? I didn't uh, see that. It was basically, oh, man, what was he? He goes, that was so five years ago, uh, alluding it to a high school crush who can't get over you. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Eddie's, some, Eddie's done some good stuff on, uh, on uh, social media. By the way, actually, I, I've always said this, Derek Lewis, one of the best people on social media. The guy that is making his way up into the Derek Lewis mold, Taruto Ishihara. He fought last week. And ha- have you seen what his uh, sli- uh, his slogan is, Sam? No. I love my bitches. <laughs> and he, 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 he Very put, Joel Embiid of him. He has a shirt, a shirt that has it. And then after the fights in Salt Lake City, he talked about how he loved his bitches. Uh, in his post-fight interview, he says, I love my bitches. And also says happy birthday to his mom, which was a very weird transition. And then he puts out a photo on Instagram where he's, where he, he's in bed with four women, and he says, I love my bitches. Wow. He, he, is, he is that guy that, you know what, if he didn't have this saying and, and have this following on social media, he'd probably just be another guy on a UFC preliminary card, but he has set himself apart. He has. You know, it'd be interesting to see maybe if the, the UFC tries to, uh, if he starts rising up the, the rankings, if they try to give him to be a little more politically correct. They have to go from bitches and fertile as hoes. I don't know. <laughs> Brian Stan, a uh, broadcast, goes, well, he just said he loves his women and happy birthday, Ma. I go, yeah, Brian, that's <laughs> not what he said. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it was uh, it's but go to the Connor and obviously Sam. Anyone's listening to this podcast knows um, you know you you watch the WWE and uh, huh, right when he said it, I said, oh man, this is not gonna this is not gonna end well. And uh, it was like and, and and who knows maybe Connor did it on purpose, but that was like cue all the clickbait articles because you knew they were coming. People are marks. There are some real marks out there for buying into 
what Conor McGregor said and then the buy into the sincerity of the responses that WWE wrestlers put out there because he's working an angle. 100% he's working an angle. He was not serious. He's trying to set something up because he sets Vince McMahon and Triple H apart. The, the two people that would be primary decision makers in whether or not he would you know, do anything with the WWE. And he sets them apart. And then he goes after the talent roster to set up a, you know, a potential rivalry or a match. And, 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 of course, the wrestlers, once they hear that, you know, they – they're going to jump on that because they, they want to if, – if Conor McGregor does anything with WWE, they, they want to be the, the guy that's involved with that so they can get that payday. But, but here's the problem, Sam. I don't think any of them knew the line of questioning that, that caused that response. I don't think they cared. I think they want, to, they want to get that rub. They want to put themselves in a position and build a program with Conor McGregor. I mean, years ago – WWE paid Mike Tyson money to, to, to come and, and do stuff for them. When Floyd Mayweather was the king of pay-per-view, they paid more, Mayweather reported $5 million to do a program with, with Big Show. So if you're Conor McGregor, you're thinking, wow, that was quite some time ago. You know, Maybe I can get 7 to 8 to $9 million, even $10 million to make a, 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 uh, some appearances during WrestleMania season and work a program with someone. So he's, he's clearly setting that up, and I think the, the wrestlers know that that's a possibility, and they're trying to position themselves for that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it, but one of my first thoughts, especially when Roman Reigns was uh, one of the first ones to comment on it, I'm like, I'm like, hey, Roman, didn't you just get popped for something? Which, by the way, we all know their, their wellness policy is a complete joke, you know, with the whole Brock Lesnar situation, the fact that he's not even drug tested. <laughs> I love their reasoning. It's because he's not a full time member of the roster. Oh. Well, technically, when you say all your your all your athletes are independent contractors, then really none of them are full timers, are they? Yeah, it's like, come on. I mean, come on. I mean, it's one of those things. I, I wish Connor would have said, "Hey, how about I, I send my uh, USADA buddies over to come talk to you." <sighs> He's not going to say that because he wants to do business with WWE. Yeah. And it, I, I, I think that's a possibility. It, it's just – it's crazy to me. It, it's just absolutely crazy to, to kind of see uh, this whole situation. And, and, and obviously – and I understand for the WWE why they they sit there and they try to capitalize on it. I get it. I mean, Connor, he is the biggest star in MMA. There's, there, there's no question about it. But it, it's one of those and, things of – Every time I kept seeing these articles, I'm like, okay, can we just get over this? And now there is a business relationship between the WWE and the UFC with Lesnar having competed for the UFC while he was under contract to WWE. There was rumors that Paige Van Zandt was going to appear at SummerSlam. That's not happening. But the door is still open for WWE to pick up the phone anytime they have an idea. If they want to bring Ronda Rousey back and try to work a program with Stephanie McMahon. If they want to do something with Conor McGregor, similar to what they did with Floyd Mayweather several years back, the door is now open for them to do that. Yeah, it's uh, – by, by the way, any predictions on how many uh, buys uh, the UFC 202 is going to do? You got to think it's going to be over a million. I think 1.125. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a massive pay-per-view – uh, you know, uh, Sabah Hamasi just got signed by the UFC to, to step in on that card, uh, fought in Bellator, fought in Titan FC. Uh, a couple of changes have have happened to that card, but a great one-two one, I have an interesting punch. story about Sabah Hamasi and a Bellator ring girl. <laughs> None of them currently work for Bellator, and, and 
it's not Jade Bryce, but there was a one of the original ring girls, and not Mercedes, basically like ran off with Sabahumasi. They met like at a show, and she like ran off with them, and that was it. She never, I, she never. I don't think she worked for us again. Yeah, but uh, you know, Sabah's been on, been on a nice run, but great one-two punch next weekend with uh, obviously Connor Nate, also Glover, uh, and Rumble. Uh, key matchup there at, at 205 pounds. But uh, I did want to play a piece of audio for you, Sam, this week. And this comes from Aero Hawani's show, and this is with Benson Henderson. And this is a piece of audio that if you're Bellator, you probably don't want a fighter talking about publicly when it comes to the current sponsorship pay in Bellator. You, you had mentioned that the Reebok deal was a major reason why you decided to leave. Can you compare for us what you made in your last UFC fight from Reebok and what you made in terms of sponsorship for your Bellator debut? Yeah, uh, for my my last uh, Bellator fight, I had one sponsor, and in that one sponsor, uh, just one, um, I was just shy of what I made for for the Reebok sponsorship. But I, I, I am aware, I do know that it's going to take a while to build up those sponsors again. Sponsors in the UFC was... Uh, at one point, a very high, high dollar amount. You know, you got paid quite a bit of money. Um, after, you know, the Reebok thing took over and all the companies kind of heard about that, the value went down a lot. And me, I, I know playing with Bellator, the, the value is not going to be exactly what it was at its peak in, in the UFC. You know, I have to build back up to that. I'm a patient man and I know my worth. I'm not going to sell myself short. If the Ritz Carlton has, you know, a hundred rooms and then they, 75 of the rooms are empty. Do they rent out their room for any cheaper? Do they rent out the rooms for only a hundred bucks instead of, you know, that $700, $800 range that they normally rent out their room for, for one night? No. They, they know what the value of the room is. They know what their worth is. So they, they hold to their worth of, you know, $700, $800 a night. Uh, I'm not going to sell myself short. I know my value is. I know my worth is. It is going to be harder to, to find some sponsors, uh, to, to, be back at that point, but I'm not going to sell myself short. Uh, I can't do that. Um, Why did you just have one sponsor? Was it was it tough to get people on board? Uh, t- tough to get people on board a little bit. Like I said, with the with the sponsorships, yeah, you have to build yourself back up to that range. Uh-huh. So once sponsors start seeing some of the, the TV numbers, the the viewerships, how many how many eyeballs will be on their product. If the, for for me as a as, as a fighter, it took me a while to learn all this. And you always have managers trying to explain to you, agents trying to explain to you. You always have the, um, the sponsors themselves trying to explain to you, hey, man, you know, we want to give you this money, but we don't see, we don't know the, the ROI, the return on our investment. We don't know if, if I give you this much money, or am I going to make this much money back? Like, they, there's no way to really truly uh, judge that, to weigh that. So some sponsors are still, you know, um, wary of, of dropping the, the same amount of money that were, they were dropping before. And that's my job to prove to them that I am worth it. Like, no, you, I understand you guys are, are hesitant uh, about, you know, sponsoring an athlete for this much money. Um, but when you see the, the numbers, when you see freaking, you know, uh, Spike TV pulling 1.1 mil, uh, peak rating, um, there was a playoff game that night. So if not for the play, the playoff game that went to overtime, I think it was the, uh, Thunder versus, uh, Thunder versus, uh, Steph Curry's team. The Warriors. The Warriors, yeah. So, like, yeah, so that game definitely hit my my target audience, males eighteen yeah. to you know whatever the age is. So that that kind of 
hurt us on the viewership. But when you know companies start seeing viewership, they start seeing the the Nielsen ratings being out, you know, one point one, one point two, one point five. Then they start to change their mind a little bit. So I, it's my job to to prove that I am worth it. I am worth this number. I am worth that number. But it's a but it's a process. It's not going to be easy. But I never was looking for the easy way out either. So Sam, any thoughts on what he had to say there? I think you said it best at the outset. Probably not what you want to have out there if you're the UFC. I mean, pardon me, not what you want to hear if you're Bellator. Um, you know, that they promoted that for a little bit, that, you know, fighters should take a second look at Bellator because you have the freedom to get your own sponsors and there's the potential for you to make more money in sponsorships than you would have in the UFC. Now Ben Henderson's coming out saying, well, it's something that he hopes for in the future. It hasn't exactly worked out that way at the start of his relationship with Bellator. And he's talking about the future. And it's great that he's positive and open-minded, but I don't know if Bellator, it's never been a great source of sponsorship income for fighters and i don't know that it's ever going to change it just unless the ratings grow overall and they've had some rating successes in the last couple couple of years you know kimbo slice the the the, the shows that he headlined were incredibly successful and ben henderson when he made his debut for bellator you know his his fight peaked at 1.1 million but the overall ratings there has not been tremendous growth and unless there is tremendous growth within the next year or so, I don't see you know, sponsors all of a sudden doing a 180 and changing their minds and suddenly deciding to invest in Bellator fighters at a, at a much higher rate than they are now. The only thing that's going to get them to change their minds and decide to, to make that investment is if the, the ratings and, and the exposure grows. There, there's, I can't think of any other reason why a company that has been uh, bearish about sponsoring Bellator fighters would change their mind for any other reason. Sam, I love the honesty. I love the candidness as well, but if you're Bellator PR, you're probably not so happy about it right now. No, you you would not be happy about it at all. I mean, to me, that was the thing that I took away from it was just I just love the honesty that he came out there. And anyone who's in the advertising world, they know exactly what Benson Henderson's talking about when you start hearing like ad rate card and th- and that's that is what Benson Henderson's essentially talking about. It's it's sit there. And I love the honesty, but man, if you are the powers that be at Bellator, that's not a great message to let Roy McDonald hear. I was just about to say that. If you're Scott Coker and you're in the midst of uh, midst of negotiations with Roy McDonald, that's the last thing that you want Roy McDonald and his management team to to hear because that's yeah. that's the type of thing that can come up in ne- negotiations. The absolute. I, personally, I don't think Roy McDonald's going to Bellator anyway. Oh, I think he's using Bellator to get the money he wants out of the UFC. I agree. You know, but it's, uh, you know, I love the candidates there, but, and, and this is one of the things that, and, and I was going back with a, a follower on Twitter about this because uh, there was a, a fighter, uh, out team, I believe Josh Emmer, our team alpha male, who put a post out on Instagram seeking sponsors to help pay for uh, his medicals and also to help pay uh, to get some of his coaches and, and out to his next fight in Vancouver. 
And, you know, and obviously it's not a good look for UFC pay, but I think the also the other side of that is how how bad pay is on the regional scene and that when these guys make it to a UFC or, or even a Bellator, it's not like they have a bunch of money saved up in their bank account. No, they're starving artists. You know, and, and you know, and once again, if you're Bellator, that's that's not the, the mindset you went out there. Also, you know, when you see, uh, you know, they announced Bubba Jenkins at Georgia Carahania, it's going to be the feature preliminary bout. One of my first thoughts that came to my mind was, make you wonder how much potential money that Georgie and Bubba lost in sponsorship because now their fight is on Spike.com and not Spike TV. But how much sponsorship are they really losing? I Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's only a question that those two guys can answer. I mean, uh, obviously the fighters weren't, weren't thrilled about it. Um, you know, it's, you know, because, you know, especially, you know, I think in being on a preliminary card for UFC, I really don't think is a huge deal because unless it's pay-per-view points, that's where you'd want to be on the main card if you're in the main event or co-main event. Um, but you know, but I also I understand what Belter's trying to do with their their online preliminary card. They're trying to get people invested in that. But another problem with their their preliminary card is is what do you want those preliminary cards to be? Do you want it to be full of ticket sellers that get people in the building, or do you want it to draw traffic to your website? I just don't understand the push to draw traffic to their website because Spike TV, they're in the business of TV ratings. Mm -hmm. Why are they weakening their main cards to strengthen their web broadcast? And I don't even, you know, people have said, oh, well, it's an OTT play. Well, a web stream is a little different than an OTT play. You know, an OTT play is an app that has a business model that could potentially generate money for a company in the future, like Fight Pass. I don't see what Bellator's doing online with its fight product that really has, at least in its current form, does not I don't see where the, the end game is to monetize that. You know, it's just they're just gonna get a bunch of random eyeballs going to spike.com. What how does that translate to, to, to money? By, by the way, speaking of OTT, I don't know if you saw this, Dana White uh, throwing it out there that his reality show has been picked up by Netflix. That's huge. That's real huge, especially when you consider that the UFC is going to be looking for a new TV deal within the next couple of years to be able to bring Netflix into the the potential group of bidders. That's that's massive. That's, well, that's really massive. What's that mean for their own OTT play? You can still do both. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that to me was the thing that kind of uh, that jumped out to me more than anything else was you know is and look I get you, you got someone who wants to pay you pay you money for your reality show go ahead but but well my first thought is well what's that mean for Fight Pass Yeah but here's the thing with looking for a fight yes they've aired it on Fight Pass but it's also all every episode has been out there for free. Pretty much on YouTube. Oh, I mean, put- look, they, they've been wanting to try to get this show picked up. I mean, and, and this is the one thing, and, and that show is it's, it's tailored toward, towards MMA fans, but as a viewer, you pretty much all know. Fast forward to the last five minutes of the show to find out if they actually signed somebody. Right. I mean, unless you wanted to see Dana White partying with his friends. I mean, that's, that's essentially what it is. Um, and, and now Nick the Tooth's not on it. Now it's Dean Thomas uh, with Matt. Yeah, why, why, why is Nick the Tooth 
no longer on that show. That's that's a that's a very good question. They they were up in New England, uh, New England fights uh, last weekend. Uh, had Matt on my uh, on my Wednesday show. We we talked about that. So uh, New England fights, one of the newest promotions to go over to Flow Combat. Man, that Flow Combat's adding a lot of regional promotions. They have, and from what I hear, they're offering people real deals, not some of these fake deals that uh, some other sites have offered. Uh, well, I'm, I guess I'll just say, go, go fight live. Really, <laughs> some of the offers that they'd put out there to certain promotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, but so now that there's a there really good alternative out there with Flow Combat and really investing a little bit in the promotion's future rather than just trying, you know, I, I just feel like some of the stuff that go, Go Fight Live has done has been really exploitive. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of people in the industry that don't have a lot of good things to say about Go Fight Live. I'm <laughs> one of those people. I'm one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I, I've 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 talked to plenty of people who, who don't have a lot of good things, but you know, obviously, it helps bring kind of that regional MMA. By the way, speaking of regional MMA, CES MMA has, has got a card on Friday night. This fight card has gone through some changes. Uh, first off, their co-main event has changed. Matt Pissette is now on his third opponent. His first opponent withdrew due to an injury. His second opponent, uh, which was a fighter out of New Mexico, Stephen Corentis, is now off the fight card. He is currently in jail in New Mexico. Uh, allegedly has raped a 15-year-old and uh, also oh had... Gosh. that's just... Also had uh, previous charges um, that, you know, when, when all this came out, I actually saw the, a news story on my Facebook timeline. Then I reached out to CES about this, and obviously uh, they were aware of the new arrest, were not aware of his previous arrest. But as someone who has done town relations, I wanted to kind of bring this up to you. As a regional promotion, when you're talking about bringing in fighters that are not from your area that you don't know, where where does background checks come into the equation? The thing with background checks for regional promotion is they cost money. To do a real background check, you're talking about hundreds of dollars for a fighter that may not even appear on your show. You know, you may even sign him to a bout agreement, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to end up getting on a plane and end up fighting for you. There's a lot of hoops that you have to jump, jump through, especially with last-minute replacements. But the one thing that you can do that's free is Google somebody. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, is it, is it a police-level background check? Absolutely not. But you'd be surprised what comes up when you Google someone's name. And if you, you know, the more specific you can get with that person and their name, you know, you put in an address, whatever you, you can put in there, you can get pretty, pretty good, you know, you can find out a lot about someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so. mean, it's, and also... It, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to Devin Carrier's family. Devin was supposed to be on Friday's car. He was killed in a car crash on Saturday morning. Uh, I know the police department up there is, is looking for information exactly uh, what happened there, but Matt Bissett is still on the car. He's going to take on Joe Pingatori, uh, who is stepping up uh, on the – he was already scheduled to be on this fight car, taking on Bill Jones. He now takes on Matt Bissett in the co-main event of the fight car, three title fights. Of course, that will be uh, coming up on Friday night on Access TV. Uh, we do have two questions that we do want to get to here before we get out of here on this edition of the MMA insiders podcast uh first up uh kind of a question we we've really talked about 
prior about TNA and, and some of the Bellator fighters that were used and asking about pay for, for Tito, Mo, and Rampage. We talked about it before, but also was asked about the end game. And, you know, Sam, it's kind of the end game to all that was pretty simple. It was called, you know, bring new viewers to the Bellator product. That's exactly what it was. We were trying to create a multi-sport star, a multi-combat sports star, someone that had fan bases in both pro wrestling and MMA and try to do something a little unique, a little different by having them do it both at the same time. You know, Ken Shamrock had done MMA, he had done pro wrestling, but never really done it at the same time. So we wanted to create something where you had a guy that was doing it in real time, going back and forth and trying to make things, you know, uh, very unique and, you know, create something different. And we tried that and didn't really come off exactly the way we had envisioned it. It was a tough vision to uh, kind of pull off, but you know we, the the idea was there, and it's nice to see Bobby Lashley basically doing that now. Yeah, and uh, be interesting to see if we ever when we see Bobby Lashley back in inside the Bellator cage. Also, will we, have, we will we see him back in a Bellator cage? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, it's 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 been a long time since we've seen him in that cage. Uh, also, we got asked uh, about comments on Shell Son making light of passing the USADA testing. First off, I would say this, Sam, is you know that's kind of shell shell being shell, but. I truly believe, I don't think he truly know whether he was going to pass those drug tests or not. And part of it may be he doesn't know what's on the ban list. That may be the other part of it. I don't know. You would think that if he's thinking about the possibility of coming back, he would know that he's going to get tested. You can test yourself before you take a USADA test. Yeah, it's uh, the UFC could use Shelson, though. They need and stars. They might, and they might. Yeah. They might use him. I mean, maybe they're working on something for him in Madison Square Garden because they don't have a lot of available possibilities for that right now. Man, if you don't use Conor McGregor for 205, I don't know what they do, Sam. Kind of interesting. They said they weren't going to, but I, I just don't know what else, what other options they have right now. No, they, they really don't have any other options. It's kind of you think about everything that has happened. Also, I, I just – to me, it's comical that Daniel Cormier says he's done with John Jones. I'm sitting there going, do you not like money? Because that is the biggest money fight Daniel Cormier can have. And it's like he's turning away from it. And I'm like, John Jones could could easily be back at the beginning of 2017. Especially, You think, you think he's going to win his appeal? Well, if he if they're able to prove the tainted supplement defense, and you look at what Tim Means and Yoel Romero got, you know, Tim Means was six months. Yo Romero was nine months. We're talking the beginning of 2017 where we could see John Jones. Yeah, but two estrogen blockers. I, I, Sam, I know, I know, but ultimately he's got to be able to prove his case. I don't, and I, I think it's going to be a difficult case to prove. I think we're going to see him out for two years. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it, you know, I, obviously Team Jones has been very. Uh, you know, quiet on that situation. It's been pretty quiet on the USADA front, Sam. I'm kind of concerned. That, <laughs> that big test failure probably going to come out right after we uh, finish taping the show. Oh, exactly, exactly. Of course, uh, you can follow myself on Twitter at Jason underscore Floyd. You can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Kaplan MMA. You know, Sam, we're, we're right around the, the, the start of fantasy football season. We are, and we got to get our uh, fantasy team, fantasy league started pretty soon. Uh been so busy, I haven't had time to really get that going. But uh, 
tweet at me at Sam Kaplan MMA Kaplan with a C, and we'll start putting everything together. Yeah, and of course, uh, of course, you want to be sure to uh, listen to this show. Multiple places you can listen to the show. You can listen to it. MMAinsiderspodcast.com, Radio Influence, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, on iTunes and Stitcher, where we would love if you would uh, rate and review this podcast uh, and let your friends know you enjoy this podcast. If you are interested uh, in being an advertiser on this podcast, uh, just simply uh, shoot me an email, jason at radioinfluence.com. We can uh, put together a package for you, for your business, to be a part of the MMA Insiders Podcast. Sam, as always, man, appreciate time, and uh, we'll talk again soon, man. Talk to you later. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence.